Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. I'm sure on that first Palm Sunday, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this young donkey, I'm sure on that first Palm Sunday, despite the crowds shouting and singing and the palpable excitement in the air, I'm sure there were some people who were, who were hanging back, who were watching. I'm sure there were some people who were still trying to make up their minds what they thought of this prophet from Galilee. But what is absolutely clear is that a great many people are, are not holding back. A great many people are indeed shouting and singing at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And this word Hosanna meaning save us, please. And we who... <laughs> certainly in 2020 and now 2021, know that there are things we simply need to be saved from, both collectively as well as individually. Surely the Lord has something for us in this story today. So please join me as we pray for God's work in our hearts, as we hear the scripture, in this case from the Gospel of Luke, although you know, all four biographies of Jesus include the story. Please join me in prayer. So we pray for God's work in our hearts this morning. Our Lord Jesus, as you rode into Jerusalem, you knew what was coming, even if no one else did. And likewise for us today, you, you know what's ahead of us, even if we don't. And more to the point, Lord, you are bringing into our lives the, the things that make for peace. Open our eyes, our hearts to you and to this word from you today. That our eyes, our ears, our hearts would be open to see. To see you. And to see the good that you are bringing now. We pray because you've opened the way for us to pray. Amen. Good morning. Today's gospel lesson is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, as the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, the Lord needs it. 
Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day that would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Think of a, a high-energy sporting event that you've been to. We've, we've all been to some kind of sporting events, yes? And um, I'm probably not referring to a Mariners game. It's fun to go, but it's not as high-energy as it gets. Sanders games are better, of course. Seahawks games, absolutely. But I have an experience that, uh, to quote Spinal Tap, goes to 11. And that next level place was indeed Ann Arbor, Michigan. For six years, I lived in the town that hosts the University of Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines, one of the storied American football programs in the United States. And let me tell you, every single time there is a football game in town, not only does the population more than double between the people filling up the big house, and yes, it is the biggest football stadium in the entire United States. Not only does the population more than double from both the folks going into the stadium and the people who are tailgating and the people who are just coming in to visit friends while they're waiting for their other friends to get out of the big house, but literally the entire town pulses with energy. Everyone has to plan their day around when certain streets are becoming one-way traffic, four-lane streets becoming one-way traffic to handle people going in and out of the town. And let me tell you, when Ohio State is playing Michigan in Ann Arbor, it's, it's just next level. It's almost impossible to describe. When we moved here to Seattle, people told us like, oh yeah, Seattle's a real football town, the Seattle Seahawks. And we came in, and we're like, yeah, no, we've, um, I, we love Seattle. We love the Seahawks. It's not as intense here as it is in Ann Arbor. And as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this day that we mark as Palm Sunday, this is Jerusalem. It's completely packed with people. <laughs> on an Ohio State game day in Ann Arbor, the town doubles, maybe a little bit more than doubles. 
Jerusalem, best estimates are that the population of Jerusalem, somewhere between triples to quadruples to potentially uncertain years, six times as many people in Jerusalem as there are normally. Which is precisely why, of course, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and he's going to go back out to Bethany for the night. There's literally nowhere to stay. It's game week. And it's game week in Jerusalem because this is the celebration of Passover. God's people were in bondage in Egypt and God with a mighty hand, because they cried out to him, rescued them through the waters of the Red Sea, through the waters of the Jordan, through all the trials of 40 years in the desert, remaking their hearts to then enter the promised land, a place of safety where God would set up a righteous king to rule them. And it's game week because not only are people remembering their past, but they're looking to their future in hopes for God sending them a Messiah. They're looking for this day when God will send them a king far better than David, who, who failed in all kinds of ways, as did every one of the other of Israel's kings. They're looking for this anointed one, this Messiah who will rule in justice and bring shalom, the right reweaving of individual hearts and society as a whole. It's game week and things are intense. And things are extra intense this time around because he's here. Jesus is, is here. He's here for the festival. He's here in Jerusalem and people are beginning to think that he maybe, just maybe, well the disciples are pretty convinced, but other people maybe, Jesus is this promised king. The disciples think so. The folks coming in, streaming in from Galilee and other places think so. The people in Jerusalem are a little less sure, but there are lots of people who are convinced that Jesus is the promised one. And Jesus ups the ante. Not only now do people see him, they see him riding into Jerusalem on a colt, a direct reference to the way that kings would ride into the city, uh, normally on a mule, not a little tiny donkey, but they would ride into the city clothes laid out on the road, a red carpet in front of them. The palms that people are waving, John specifically mentions palms, are a nationalistic symbol. People are intense and Jesus is encouraging it. So the Pharisees are not wrong when they ask Jesus to tell his disciples to stop doing this because they see what Jesus is doing. They see the way that Jesus in his actions is in fact openly confronting the power structures, in effect declaring who he is by his manner of entry, all the more because there's a specific prophecy in the book of Zechariah that encourages Jerusalem to look, see your king rides into the city, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, a king of righteousness and peace. But right with this dramatic, confrontational entrance to Jerusalem, we see the ways that Jesus is taking action to subvert people's expectation, to draw them away from what they think 
this promised king is going to be about to what he is truly about. And each of the gospel writers actually do this in their own way. Matthew does, in fact, uh, jump right into what happens on Monday, Jesus clearing out the money changers and the you know, animal sellers in the court of the nations. But then takes us to the scene of Jesus enjoying the praises and the laughter and the play of children. And that's a, that's a different kind of king than what we were expecting, and they as well. John brings us along to see that there are Greeks who are seeking Jesus, that Jesus is not just a king for, quote-unquote, his own people. Jesus is a king for all nations. That's, that's a different kind of king. Mark brings us along to see the way that Jesus is not what we might expect exclusively for the Jews, in that he rides into Jerusalem and then looks around and actually goes home to where he's staying at Bethany for the night before all the dramatic events of the rest of the week. And Luke here shows us the way that Jesus is different than the king they were expecting and that we so often do as well by narrating for us that as Jesus is riding down the hill, Mount Olives, down into Jerusalem, again, within about a half mile as the crow flies from the city wall and the, the gate of the temple. That Jesus, as he comes towards the city, drawing near, <laughs> he's not lifting a victory shout, he's, he's weeping. He begins to cry, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring shalom, what would bring peace, what would bring the goodness for ourselves and together as God's family, as a people, as a nation, if we knew the things that would bring for peace, if, but they're hidden from your eyes. Now, make no mistake, the people are going to see Jesus ride into Jerusalem. They're going to see him do all the things that he's going to do this week that are confrontational. They're going to see him. They're going to hear him. They're going to, some of them are going to touch him. Some of them are going to scourge and whip and beat him and crucify him. But the things that bring peace, the things that make for peace, are hidden from their eyes, and that brings Jesus to tears. The question for us, of course, is, are our eyes open? Are we seeing, are willing to see, the things that make for peace? See, when Jesus shows up in our lives, it's going to be to fulfill his word in accordance with his character. But let's be honest, when Jesus shows up in our lives, there are parts of, that, parts of his presence that are going to make us uncomfortable. He's going to challenge our presuppositions. He's, because he's not content to leave us in this mess we've made for ourselves. Jesus' challenge comes to us in the big picture ways, as it did for folks back then. This pandemic has challenged us all. Do I care only for myself, or do I also care for others? Which 
others do I care for? Am I willing to inconvenience myself for the sake of others? How angry do I get at my own inconvenience? And on and on and on. Friends, we've also been confronted with racial and systemic injustice in our country. And if we're people who read our Bible carefully, and we see that God let the sin of the Canaanites stack up for 400 years before he brought judgment. Do any of us think it would be strange if the year 2020, which is 401 years after the events of 1619, that finally judgment might be, visitation might be, coming on our country? Can we at least hold out the possibility that God is visiting his people and inviting us to open our eyes to see the things that make for peace? And then there are the ways that Jesus comes into our lives to work on us as individuals and, and friendships, family units, those sort of micro-level contacts a particular congregation, a particular workplace, reminding us of our need to forgive and indeed to confess and receive forgiveness, our need out of love to speak the truth, even when it's hard, and trust that God is sovereign and he will take care of what needs to be taken care of. Friends, we, we should look at, at this Holy Week beginning with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and recognize that as great as this moment is for Jesus' disciples and a bunch of other people who are along for the fun, the entire rest of Holy Week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and death and burial, Everyone in Jerusalem is going to have their moments, or perhaps most of the week, that's deeply uncomfortable. And yet it's through this that Jesus brings the things that make for peace. The things that make for the reweaving of right relationships in relationship to God and each other and indeed the rest of creation. So the question for us is, where is God visiting me? And simply praying, Lord Jesus, open my eyes so that I can see, my loved ones can see, my church can see, this country can see in your grace and mercy, the things that make for peace. Amen.